Welcome to the Impact Church Podcast, and thank you so much for joining us as we seek to establish Christ followers who live in obedience to God's Word and make an impact in their community and the world through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Today, Pastor Brad finishes a two-week mini-series called No Easy Way Out, challenging us to take a look at what direction and path our life is taking. Are you ready to make an impact for Christ? The time is now. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Impact Church. We are continuing in a two-week mini-series. We started last week called No Easy Way Out. Last week, we talked about how there's some things worth fighting for. We looked about how God has the master key, but he has empowered us to use some keys that he's given us and then also to stand on his word and not deny his name. And when we do that, when we are found faithful, like that church of Philadelphia in Revelation, that God shows up. So today, but there's no easy way out of that, and there's no easy way through it. Today, another passage is there's no easy way out, and we're going to look at the broad and the narrow path. Many of you are familiar with that passage, and we're going to look at that a little bit today. And I open with um, a guy you probably have heard of named Robert Frost, and he had a poem that's called The Road Not Taken. A lot of you know that, have studied that. Maybe you like poetry. And at the end of that a poem that he wrote it says two roads diverged in a wood and I took the one less traveled by and that has made all the difference today we're going to talk about in scripture a passage where Jesus talked about two paths and the one that you take is going to make all the difference it'll make all the difference not just for this life but for all of eternity So the question is, which one will you take? Which one are you on? Or maybe even a better question is, which one do you think you're on that you might not be on? We're going to look at Scripture today and dig this out. Because what we're going to see in this passage and what we know is true is that throughout the world and across our nation, there's a lot of people who feel religious. There's a lot of people who claim Christianity, but they're lost and they're going to hell. I want you to think about that. The scripture and what we're gonna back it up with is gonna be very clear that points out that this might not be quite as easy as 21st century churches have made it out to be. Why is that? What does Jesus have to say in his word? We're gonna look at all that. You see, the problem is the people that have been deceived, duped, to thinking that they're on the path, on the narrow path to heaven, but in fact are on the broad road, are some of the hardest people to reach. Why? Because they think they have the truth. They think they have it. So how do we reach them? How do we curve people's mind, their thinking, their heart? First of all, we can't. Only the Holy Spirit can. But this is what we can do to help. Preach the word. Preach the word, all of it. Evangelize all of it. Not parts of it, the easy parts that we know people will receive and take and do and then give them a false hope of salvation that they likely don't have because you only gave them part of the truth. You see, those people that are on this broad road of deception are hard to reach, but the only way we reach is through the Word of God and through the Spirit working in their hearts and minds. We know that authentic faith is in Christ. And there is truth that is preached and evangelized in that. But then we're going to look at the parts that maybe aren't so popular that need to be taught and spoke and presented so that people know what they're signing up for. So that people understand that there is no easy way out. In fact, Jesus is going to say, this road is narrow and it's difficult. And only a few are going to find it. Let me pray for us before we dive in. Dear Lord, we love you. Father, we thank you for Jesus. And Lord, we come to you right now, Father. And we praise you. We magnify your name. We lift you up, Father, for you are holy. 
Lord, we thank you for the gift of your son who broke his body and shed his blood so that we could have life. And through his finished work on the cross, Father, we could be redeemed, restored, and renewed and set on the narrow path that leads to eternal life. So Lord, I pray for us right now as we hear your words in this passage and we know that there is also a broad road and there's many that are on it. I pray that you would give us ears to hear, a mind to understand and a heart to obey and to fall in line with your word and to understand the truth of what authentic salvation and being a follower of Christ really looks like as we dig into your word, that we will not be deceived, that we will not be duped by false doctrine and partial truths, that we will understand your word and be able to apply it and share truth to a world that's lost, dying, searching for hope. And Father, you and your word is the answer. So Lord, may we surrender to that today. Would you give us your spirit, your strength, your wisdom, so that we can say yes to you in everything. You get the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have a copy of God's Word with me, you can turn to Matthew chapter 7. We're going to be in verses 13 through 27 today. And before we get started, I want to go ahead and give a disclaimer out. The Scripture is very clear that salvation is only in Christ and Christ alone through the finished work on Calvary. That is not of works, that there's nothing we can do to gain or earn our salvation or to be justified. That it's through him and him alone. Ephesians very clear in that, that we're not saved through works, we're saved through faith, all right? But the end of that is that we are, through that faith, through that salvation, prepared to do good works. So... Don't get confused as we go through this. We're not saying that salvation is Jesus plus something. No, it's not. It's Jesus and Jesus alone. But there is an identifier. There is something that is very obvious in Scripture of what it looks like when we're truly saved. And the Bible's going to point out what it looks like possibly when we're not saved, when we're not on the narrow path that maybe some think they are on. So this faith only comes through hearing, and hearing through the Word of God, the Bible says. So it's the Spirit of God pulling us through His Word into this repentance and authentic salvation. But know this, authentic saving faith is not just belief in your mind. Authentic, authentic saving faith is always preceded and followed with repentance. It is. And surrender is a component of that. So, now, that being said, let's dig in. Matthew chapter 7, verses 13. We're going to read through 27. And like I said, we're not going to get through all this today. We're just going to have the time to touch. But let's read God's word. It says Jesus' words. You ready? Enter by the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it. Because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life. And there are few who find it. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, by their fruits, you will know them. Not everyone who says to me, y'all ready for this? Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many, there's that word many again, will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, there it is again. Have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, 
you who practice lawlessness. Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house. And it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house. And it fell, and great was its fall. You see this passage right here in chapter 7 that we just read is at the end of something called the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus gave. And it's through chapters 5 through 7 here in Matthew that he gives this account. And if you go all the way back to chapter 5, he starts with something very counterculture to the Jews who had believed that they could earn their way to heaven, that there was through works that they could be justified, that it was through legalism and, and, and doing this. So Jesus comes right out of the gate with them in the Sermon on the Mount and says basically that you can only enter the kingdom by recognizing your own spiritual bankruptcy. He said, for those who are poor in spirit, yours is the kingdom of heaven. That was counterculture to them. So right off the bat, he hits them with this, and then he goes through all the Beatitudes there in chapter 5. He goes into how, hey, murder is not only a physical act, murder starts in your heart when you hate your brother. He goes into, hey, adultery, more than just a physical act, it starts even with your eyes, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And he talks about all these things that are just blowing their mind and putting truth on them. And then he closes right here in chapter 7, this Sermon on the Mount, with, hey, it's make up your mind time on the mountain while I got you here. Let me tell you some truth about some people who are deceived and some people who are on the right path. And what that looks like. This is not a game, is what Jesus is saying. Not playing games. The Bible says that Jesus, that God cannot be mocked. Man's gonna reap what he sows. Here's Jesus crawling out, crying out to them with truth for them to wake up. So, in this passage that we just read, basically what we see is there's true religion and there's false religion. Okay? There's only one true religion. That's it. There's no deviations from that. There's no variations of that. There's no subcategories of that. Get me? But in broad road, in false religion, it includes no religion at all, and it includes all the sub-variations of the one true religion that don't stand on the Word of God or on His truth. There's the scary part. And that's what we're going to see Jesus address in this passage. So, let's make up your mind time here on the mountain. And let's make up our mind time here in Forest, Virginia. Which path are we on? Who are we truly following? When you look at this whole entire passage through verse 27, what you see is a total of 10 contrasts that Jesus lays out. It just jumps off the page right there in Scripture. There's two of each category. There's two gates. There's a broad and a narrow one. There's two paths. There's a broad and a narrow or a difficult one. There's two destinies. There's destruction, which is hell. There's life, which is heaven. There's two crowds. There's many and there's few. There's two trees, there's good and there's bad. There's two fruits, there's good and there's bad. There's two behaviors and qualities of people. There's the sayers and there's the doers. There's two builders. There's a wise one and a foolish one. There's two foundations. There's sand and there's the rock. And there's two houses. There's the one that stood and there's the one that fell. You see, Jesus just nails it down to, hey, there's a lot of religions, there's a lot of things going out there, but I'm going to tell you right now, there's really only two. There's the one way, and then there's the wrong way. And the wrong way has many ways. So we see this narrowed down by our Lord right here at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. One path, one way to heaven. All others lead to hell. But... Here's the scary part. 
Not all of them have hell on the sign. This is where you're going. They actually have heaven on the sign, but it's a lie. There's where deception gets in. These people think they have it. That's why in 21 through 23, those verses, you hear their plead, their, their call for misunderstanding. What do you mean? What are, what are you talking about? But, but did, did, didn't you see? They fell for a false religion. So we're going to look at that because this is very serious stuff. So we're going to see what true salvation looks like in this passage. And we're going to see that maybe, just maybe, it goes a little deeper, like we always talk about, than just some words you mumble at an altar. That maybe, just maybe, Jesus looks at the heart and determines what path you're on. Unfortunately, if you listen to some evangelists, you think it's, Really simple, really super simple. Just believe and then repeat a few words that I'm going to mumble to you and you're good. Now listen to me, hear this. Although that is a part and a component of salvation, that is not the path to salvation by itself. It is not. Because there's something else that's been left out right there. And we're going to see what that something else is. All right? So... Because let's be honest, if it really was that simple, there would be a lot of people going to heaven. Really? I mean, a lot. All you got to do is believe, pray a little prayer. I'm good. I don't have to do anything else. Nah, you're good. Your name's written in the land of life. Go on about your life. Do what you want to do. And a lot of people walk away with a false sense of security of salvation because they can point back just to a a time they said a few words, but nothing else happened. What does true salvation look like? Why does Jesus say in this word that the way is narrow? Why? Why is there only a few on it? First of all, because if it's narrow, that means it's small. And then it's hard to find. It's not as easy as the broad road to get through. That it's actually not found by the majority. Plus, there's the deception of the broad road. The deception of broad road religion that's much more accommodating to your sinful lifestyle and worldliness. Your pride. Let me read for you another passage, a parallel passage that I'm going to try to read both of them and not have time to fully explain, but I do want to read them and put them out there as they bring explanation to what we see here in this passage in Matthew chapter 7. Let me read for you Luke chapter 13, verse 22 through 28. It's Luke chapter 13, 22 through 28. It says, and he went through the cities and villages. This is Jesus. He's going through. He went through the cities and villages, teaching and journeying toward Jerusalem. Then one said to him, Lord, are there few who are saved? If you read the NIV, it says, are there only a few who are getting saved? And he said to them, strive to enter through the narrow gate. For many, get this, this blows my mind. For many, I say to you, will seek to enter and will not be able. Did you know your Bible says that? I want you to think about that. Many will seek to enter, but they won't be able. When, once the master of the house has risen up and shut the door, and you begin to stand outside and knock at the door saying, Lord, Lord, there that is again, open for us. And he will answer and say to you, I do not know you. Where are you from? Then you will begin to say, we ate and drank in your presence and you taught in our streets. But he will say, I tell you, I do not know you. Where are you from? De depart from me, all you workers of iniquity. 
There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God and yourselves thrust out. I don't know about you, but that makes me tremble. That makes me scared for the people who claim to know Jesus but are living like the world who think they can have their sin and their Jesus too, who might be claiming a false gospel that they've clung to, that they've tried to enter, as Jesus said, but many will not be able to. That needs further explanation, and we're going to try to get there. So basically what we see, though, and what we can say already from Matthew chapter 7 and Luke 13 is entering the narrow gate and being on the narrow path is not easy. It's not. I think we can just definitively say that through God's word. Jesus made it clear when he instructed these followers right here in Luke chapter 13 to strive. This is the Greek word that means, that is the Greek word agonizomai. And it's where we get our word to agonize so what's the implication is that those that seek to come to Jesus that that come to go through the narrow gate to stay on the narrow path have an intense focus and desire for something different there's not just a, a fleeting whim and a woo and I don't care I'm never gonna think about it any other time I'm not only even care about it I did it it's done no it's an agonizing I want to stay. I want to be on the path to righteousness. I want to live for my Lord. I want to follow his word. And I'm going to tell you right now, that's not about trying harder. That cannot be done in your strength. That's only through the spirit of God living in you. You can even think like that. That's it. That's it. That's where authentic salvation is. So to be straight again, to be clear, it's not saying that effort saves us, not saying that anything other than the grace of God through the gift of faith saves us. But what it is saying is that, that entering the narrow gate is still difficult. Why? Because of the opposition we have in our human flesh, in our pride that wants to pull us away, our love and, and our tendency towards sin and our sinful nature, and the opposition we have of an enemy named Satan and his control in this world who is in constant attack to try to pull us away we're in a battle that wants to pull us away from eternity that's why we need to strive that's why we need to be intentionally focused on Jesus if we look in verse 14 right there it says narrow is the gate and in the King James Version says narrow is the path the New King James Version which we read has that second word narrow for the path translated already into difficult because that Greek word there is thlebo, and it means to press hard on. It means trouble. It means suffer tribulation. That's the path of true salvation. Boy, that just dropped a big old bomb on the prosperity gospel, didn't it? But that's the truth of God's word. And then this, this is said, and this is, what, this is what blows my mind. Not only is it narrow, not only is it difficult, but it says a few find it. Again, the NIV says only a few find it. Again, we dig into the Greek to look at the meaning of this word. And what are we talking about a few? What does that mean? What does that look like? It's the Greek word oligos. It means puny, little, small. It's the same meaning as the Greek word micron, where we get our word micro. This is a micro-sized crowd going to heaven through the narrow gate. So the true gate is both narrow and difficult. So if you're on a road that has a gate that's easy and well-traveled, you better watch out. Better watch out. You see, I've heard it. As I've done evangelism for some 20-something years, I've heard evangelists come up and, and say, it's as simple as ABC to come to Jesus. You've ever heard that? If you've been an evangelist, you may have. Let me tell you, there is some truth in that, but not complete truth. And this is where people can potentially get led astray. ABC stands for admit. Admit you, that you are a sinner. 
B, believe. Believe that Jesus is the Son of God, the only way, and the only way to salvation. C is confess your sins, and you will be forgiven. Okay? Truth there. Complete. But it's missing something. It's missing something. Unless you extrapolate and go deeper in this, which takes some, some spiritual maturity to know inside admitting, you can say, I'm admitting that I'm a sinner, that I'm in humility, denying myself and, and, and falling on my knees and, and demeaning my own depravity and in believing, I know that he's the only way and that his word is true and that I have to adhere to it. In confession, that's only true if confession includes repentance. Because I don't know about you, I've heard people confess their sin, but they didn't repent. Have you? They, and what, this is what I mean. They go somewhere or they go to somebody and they confess their sin with the full intention in their heart to do the same thing they're confessing for next weekend. That's not repentance. That's confession without repentance. You see, a biblically more accurate and proper evangelism would say, instead of it's as simple as ABC, you might want to say, it's as difficult as QRS. What does that mean, Brad? Yeah, I prayerfully made this up. Y'all ready? Q, quit loving the world, your sin, and your fleshly desires. That's denying yourself and taking up your cross and following him. That's what that is. R, you could probably guess that one, Repentance. What does that look like? Lord, I'm wrong. Lord, forgive me. Lord, help me turn. That's repentance. And true repentance is encompassed by the S, which is surrender and submit. I surrender my life, my authority over my life to your authority. I surrender my sovereignty over my life to your sovereignty over my life. I submit myself to your authority, to your word, to your spirit. It's as difficult as QRS. It encompasses ABC, but ABC doesn't quite get there, does it, when you lay it out like that? Let's think about this word few. Some people may say, well, what are you talking about only a few get in? Because I know John the Revelator in Revelation chapter 7 verse 9 said that there was a multitude too large to count. That's what he said. Of every nation, tribe, and people, and language, they were standing before the throne in front of the Lamb. That's what it says, Pastor. Yes, it does. And that is a large number. But let's think about it in terms of eternity and the amount of people that have lived on this earth. It's estimated that somewhere around 117 to 120 billion people have ever lived on this planet. Let's round that to 100 billion for the sake of our analogy we're going to say. So now picture this for me. Let's say you have 100 freshly baked, soft Pillsbury chocolate chip cookies. And you know I love cookies. And I say to you, hey, can I have a few of those? How many would you say maybe a few might be? And don't get me wrong, we're not trying to estimate or guess the number that's in heaven. That's not where we're going. But I'm trying to bring understanding of what Jesus is saying that only a few are going. Not everybody's on this path. Not everybody who calls me Lord. Not everybody who just looks like all that in a bag of chips spiritually is saved. That's scary because it's about a heart. So if I want a few, you give me a few, I might be thinking you're giving me three, four, five, six, something like that. I mean, if you gave me 33, a third of them, I'd be like, whoa, that's too many, I can't eat that much. You give me 25%, you give me 25 cookies, I'm still thinking, man, I, I like cookies, but I can't eat that many, that's a lot. That's not a few, okay? The scripture, what we just talked about, oligos and micron, backs that up. It's puny. What are we talking about? We don't know. It's not for us to understand, but just to know that it's minimal. Go back to that crowd. What's the explanation of the large crowd? Too large to count in heaven. Here it is. If you look at that 100 billion, let's just round it to 100 billion that ever lived on the planet. Let's say that we're talking 5%. We're talking five cookies out of the 100. That would be, for those of you that are really good at math, that would be 5 billion people, okay? All right? What does that mean? That sounds, sounds like that's a large number. It is. How large? Is that, can you count that? Do you know how long it would take you to count to 1 billion? Do you know how long it would take you? If you counted one number every second, 
And that gets hard to do once you get up into billions, right? One number every second will take you 32 years to count to one billion. So those of you that are really good at math, how long is it taking you to count to five billion? You guessed it, 160 years. If you move that up to 10%, maybe it's 10%. Like I said, I don't know, we're not trying to count a number here, but let's you move it up to 10%, that's 10 billion people. Now you've got 320 years to count to 10 billion people. Yeah, that's a number too large to count, but that's only five to 10% of the people that have ever lived on the earth. Do you see the broad picture? Not everybody's going. Matter of fact, not very many are going in terms of percentages because the gate is narrow and the path is difficult. So the question is, are you willing to turn from your own sin to a holy God to abandon your sovereignty over your own life and give in to his sovereignty, to repent of your sin and turn to a holy God who is the only way? Put your faith and trust solely in him and live for him and not yourself any longer. The rich young ruler couldn't do that. He went to Jesus, right? You know the account. And he said, Lord, he come to the right person. He said, Jesus, hey, 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 Lord. What must I do to be saved? Oh, man, he knows Jesus is the Messiah. He knows the Son of God. He wants, he wants salvation. He's coming to him, right? Hey, what Jesus say? Just believe in me, pray a little prayer, and go on your way. You're good. What did he say? First of all, he said, why do you call me Lord? Then he said this. He listed out five of the Ten Commandments, knowing that it's not about works that we're saved. And the, and the man said this. He said, I've kept all them. I'm good. Jesus said, you're right. So now, here's the real key. Give all your possessions to the poor. Come follow me. And the Bible says the man went away dejected, sorrowful. Why? He could not surrender his heart to Jesus. He believed. He came to the right place. He was a good moral man. He couldn't give Jesus his heart. You see, Jesus didn't want his money. But Jesus said in the word, he said, well, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And he knew inside this man that his heart was not with him. His heart was with the world and the money and himself and his pride. And he couldn't give himself to the Lord. There's the cutting edge difference. It's more than just a mental note of belief. So we know that we can't just say that salvation is just cheap and easy. First of all, Jesus had to lay down his life on a cross and suffer horrific torture on our account to pay for the penalty of our sin. And then we know it's not easy, why? Because the heart of man is sinful and prideful and it's hard for us to surrender and repent and admit that we're wrong. You see, easy and cheap salvation says you can come with no repentance. False accounts of salvation says you can come with your unrepentant sin, with no desire or plan to change. That you can just come and have your sin in Jesus too. That you can come in pride with no self-denial. That you can come in worldliness with no brokenness. That you can just be religious. I want to tell you that that's the wide gate road of religion. You see, inside that wide gate, deceptive, false road of religion is room for diverse doctrine. It's room for acceptance and tolerance of sin. There's no boundaries. It's all blessing with no brokenness. It's the prosperity gospel. It's broad enough to live any way you want and just add Jesus to it. And that fits in so good with our hypersexualized culture where people think they can continue having sex outside the bounds of marriage in an unrepentant way and still call themselves an authentic follower of Christ. Where people think they can exist in the LGBTQ community in what the Bible calls sin in an unrepentant way, but still have faith in Christ. Where people can have a Bible in one hand and a beer in the other and think, hey man, on this weekend I can go get my buzz and still call Jesus cuz. 
where they can live in idolatry and pride and materialism and they can still think that in an unrepentant way they can still have all of that in Jesus too. When very clearly 1 Corinthians 6 says all of those ways in an unrepentant nature lead to destruction. Plus many more, by the way, if you read that passage. But there's the beautiful part of 1 Corinthians 6 says, but you once were this. That's the beauty of the gospel of Jesus. He wants to set us free from this, not set us free to sin. When Christ came, he died on the cross and gave his life so that we could be free from the bondage of sin, from the penalty of sin, but never free to sin. Don't mistake it. Never. So we can't live any way we want. Galatians chapter 5, 17 is very clear in that. It says the flesh desires what's contrary to the spirit and the spirit desires what's contrary to the flesh. They're in conflict with each other. Why? So that we are not to do whatever we want. That's your Bible that says that. I know preaching this message isn't making me popular right now. But it's what it says. John chapter 2 verse 23 through 25 if you still don't believe it. Let me throw you another one. This is Jesus again. It says, now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover during the feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs which he did. But Jesus did not commit himself to them because he knew all men and had no need that anyone should testify of man for he knew what was in man. Many, again, came to him and believed in his name. They came, they said a prayer, they, they got baptized, whatever. They, they came, they did what they're supposed to do. But Jesus didn't give himself to them. Jesus didn't come into their heart, we like to say. Why, why, why? Because he knew what was in them. Guys, he knew the inside. He knows the heart, the motives of man. And if our heart is not repentant, that's what it goes back to. That's why it's more than just ABC. It's QRS. It's, it's repentance. It's surrender. It's everything in our heart to cry out, Lord, in an authentic way with surrender and repentance. Then he comes. Everything short of that is a broad road. And many are on it. That's the scary part when you think that many may have prayed a prayer, got baptized, they've led Bible studies, they've taught Sunday school, they lead and speak at women's ministries, they write books, they pastor churches, and they even preach all over TV and the internet. They believe, they know he's Lord. They've prayed a prayer one day themselves. They've probably been baptized. But in verses 21 through 23, it says that many will call me Lord, and he'll have to say, depart from me, I never knew you. There's a song based on that passage in 21 through 23 by acapella, and it says, everybody talking about heaven ain't going there. How sad but emphatically true that is when we look at Scripture. It says, many will come to me in that day. Again, the word many, as in a majority, will claim his name, claim experiences with him, but he'll have to say, I never knew you. They said, Lord, Lord, two times. They said, your name, three times. We're yours. Many will, have, will claim miraculous powers. They, they walked with the Lord and saw him do great works. But there's a disparity here that's given in this passage between people that think they're saved and the reality of whether they really are saved. You see, they had a belief and maybe a respect for Christ. They had religious experiences but they're counterfeits because their heart wasn't right or they followed a false gospel and were deceived. That's scary. Proverbs 30 verse 12 says, there's a generation that is pure in its own eyes, yet it is not washed from its filthiness. That's what we're talking about here. It's the ones who think they've done it, but they haven't repented. They haven't surrendered to the Lordship of Jesus. They believe, but they haven't obeyed. Like James says, you believe, great. Even the demons believe and they shudder. Problem is, there's a lot of us that we don't even shudder at the name of Jesus anymore or his word. We don't even bat an eye. When he is holy and his word is true, 
And God's not playing games. That passage ends that we just read in Matthew chapter 7 with a home building seminar that we don't have time to go through. But again, it says there's only two. There's a house that's built on a rock and one that's built on the sand. Which one are you going to put your life on? Which one are you building your life on right now? Maybe, just maybe, there's somebody in here that's fallen for a lie. And you need to get it right today. If you're hearing this word, then there's breath in your lungs and there's time to change. It's not, oh, woe is me. I'm such a terrible person. No, it's the healthy conviction of a heavenly father that's putting this word in front of you and calling you out and calling him to himself. Will you say yes as the spirit knocks and pulls and prods at your heart today through his word and get it right with Jesus? I'm going to let you watch a video as we close. This is a video of a young man you may uh, know about. He's not young anymore. His name's Paul Washer, and this is when he was younger. And he's preaching to a, a group here, and he's preaching on this passage that we just read. And he brings some very blatant truths, just like I just did to you, just so you don't think that I'm the only one saying this stuff. Because this isn't my word anyway. It's, it's God's word. So let's listen to this. There's only one thing that gave me a sleepless night. There's only one thing that troubled me all throughout the morning, and that is this. Within a hundred years, a great majority of people in this building will possibly be in hell. And many who even profess Jesus Christ as Lord will spend an eternity in hell. You say, Pastor, how can you say such a thing? I can say such a thing because I don't do my Christian work in America. I spend most of my time preaching in South America, in Africa, and Eastern Europe. And I want you to know that when you take a look at American Christianity, it is based more upon a godless culture than it is upon the Word of God. And so many people are deceived, and so many youth are deceived and so many adults are deceived into believing that because they prayed a prayer one time in their life they're going to heaven and then when they look around at others who profess to know Christ and see those people also just as worldly as the world and they compare themselves by themselves nothing troubles their heart they think well I'm the same as most in my youth group I watch things I shouldn't watch on television and laugh about the very things that God hates. I wear clothing that is sensual. I talk like the world. I walk like the world. I love the music of the world. I love so much that's in the world. But bless God, I am a Christian. Why am I a Christian? I don't look any different than most of the other people in my church. Why am I a Christian? Because there was a time in my life when I prayed and asked Jesus Christ to come into my heart. I want you to know that the greatest heresy in the American evangelical and Protestant church is that if you pray and ask Jesus Christ to come into your heart, he will definitely come in. You will not find that in any place in Scripture. What you need to know is that salvation is by faith and faith alone in Jesus Christ. And faith alone in Jesus Christ is preceded and followed by repentance. A turning away from sin, a hatred for the things that God hates and a love for the things that God loves. A growing in holiness and a desire not to be like Britney Spears, not to be like the world, and not to be like the great majority of American Christians, but to be like Jesus Christ. I don't know why you're clapping. I'm talking about you. Mm. I didn't come here to get amens. I didn't come here to be applauded. I'm talking about you. Many of us woke up Friday morning to the sounding of an alarm on our phones or on our TV that there was a tornado in the area. And many of us listened to that and heeded that warning and took shelter some of which took that warning and it saved their lives. Well, here's another warning. Here's another alarm sounding. The truth of God's word, giving truth that may be hard to swallow, but yet it's still truth. 
So what will we do with this truth? Are we on the broad road or are we on the narrow road? Have we repented? Have we surrendered? Have we denied ourselves so that we can take up our cross and follow him? That's the only thing you can take with you to Jesus. Everything else you leave behind you. Just like getting on a plane and they only let you have one carry-on. All that other luggage, all that other baggage you got, that's got to stay, baby. You can only take one thing on that plane. You can only take one thing with you to Jesus. You know what that is? Your cross. Have you denied yourself and put yourself on it? Then you can follow him. It's surrender, repentance, denying self. That's the gospel. Yes, Jesus paid it all. It's all through faith in him. But have you surrendered wholeheartedly to that truth? If I walked in here today and I told you, looking like I do today, I say, hey, man, guys, yesterday, guess what? It was a crazy day. I was crossing a railroad track, and I got hit by a freight train going 100 miles an hour. Can y'all believe that? Nope. Why not? Because you'd be saying, Pastor Brad, come on, man. If you really got hit by something as big and as powerful as a freight train yesterday, you wouldn't be standing here looking like that. Because you know that there's certain marks, certain characteristics I would have because I had had that type of experience and encounter. Let me ask you, if you know and you believe that a freight train is so big to do that to me or to you, why would we think that we could have an encounter with the holy almighty God and not be changed and be different? Their answer is you can't. So how do we know we're saved? As I close, I'm gonna run this through. Tony, you can start playing if you want. How do we know we're saved? We have some scripture laced in this that I wrote up, and I'm just gonna read it to you. Scripture tells us you know that you're saved because you put your faith in Christ through repentance and surrender. And your life is in a process of being changed through the power of the living God inside you. Breaking pride and your grip on sin through the continued surrender and repentance and adhering to his word, being led by his spirit and not your flesh. So now your mind is transformed. Your desire in life is not conforming to the patterns of this world. And you are a new creation where the old is gone and the new has come. And when you step off that path, your heavenly father comes to you, calls for you, convicts you with his word and disciplines you. And then graciously and mercifully puts you back on the path of righteousness. You have a fire burning inside you that can't be tamed. You begin to love what God loves and hate what God hates. You are broken over your own sin and that of the world. And you long to see others be set free so that you live now in such a way as not to make others stumble. But you stand on his word and you speak the truth in love and you point them to the cross, not only through your words, but through your lifestyle that now follows the spirit and not the flesh. And now you humble yourself before him and you handle adversity and persecution as a soldier of Jesus Christ. That's authentic salvation. That's a life through the narrow gate and on the narrow path. And that means there's no easy way out. Are you saved? Let's bow our head and close our eyes right now in this place. I want you to know that you know that you know that you're on the right way today. Have you repented? Have you surrendered all? If you haven't, I want you to do that today. We say it every week. Everything we just preach, I really say it at the end, that it's not the prayer that saves you. It's your heart that you believe in are justified. Yes, Romans 10, 13 is true. Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. But it's only true because Romans 10, 9, and 10 is true. Before, remember context? That if you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. It's with your mouth that you confess, but it's with your heart that you believe and are justified in him. It all goes back to your heart. Then you can call upon his name and be saved. Yes. Will you do that today? Will you repent in your heart, surrender to the authority of Jesus and the lordship of his word over your life and the spirit and control over your life and give your all to him? If you haven't done that, I'm going to lead you through that prayer that you can now commit from your heart to God's heart, meaning business with God and full realization is not the words alone that save you. 
If you're here today and you may say, Brad, I've walked with the Lord previously in my life, but lately, man, I've gotten off the path, man, and the Lord's really poking at me, pulling me back, and I want to I wanna fall up under his, his grace and his mercy and his blood for forgiveness, and I want to come back on, onto the path that I know I should be on, and I want that fire to be lit in my soul again so that I can't be quiet for Christ and that I live in such a way that brings him glory and that other people see Jesus. I want to come back to that today. If that's you, I'm going to ask you to pray the same prayer again from your heart to God's heart, doing business with him right now. To receive him for the first time, rededicate to say, Dear Lord, I admit to you that I'm a sinner and that I've fallen short of your glory and that I'm in need of you, my Savior. And I know that you're the only way. Thank you. Lord, for sending your son Jesus, God in the flesh, to down the cross, the perfect spotless lamb that was slain. And through the breaking of his body and the shedding of his blood that I could have forgiveness of my sin. So Lord, I come to you and I admit that I was wrong, that I am wrong. I admit to you that I'm a sinner and that I need forgiveness only through you. And I'm asking you now to help me, to strengthen me that I could be sanctified, set apart, that I could be set on this path. That's going to be difficult, but I know you're going to give me strength. And thank you for sending him into that grave where three days later that he could prove that he is God. And through your power, you raised him from the grave and he stands in victory. And Lord, I want to stand in victory right now with you. And my commitment is from this day forward that all of my breath and all of my steps will be for your glory and for your glory alone and never again for myself. I surrender all. Amen. If that's you and you pray that prayer, you meant business with a holy God today for the first time or to rededicate, would you boldly and unashamed raise your hand and say, Brad, I prayed that prayer. I've meant business with God today. I'm surrendering all. I see your hands. If I don't, God does. It's more important. Amen. Impact. Can we give Jesus a big round of applause for his word and what he does through his word, through his spirit, guiding, leading, directing us, convicting us and mercifully and graciously setting us on the path that he has for us. Hey, it's a beautiful truth that, yeah, when we're in Christ, we're authentically saved. We're still going to mess up. We're still in the flesh. We're still sinners, but we don't make excuses for our sin anymore. We're not happy about that sin. We're not looking for excuses to continue to live in it. That's when we know God's changed us. Thank you, Father, for this word today. And I know it was tough. It was hard, but... It's going to make an impact. I know it already did in our lives. So now let's go and take it, make an impact in everybody else's life. Thanks again for joining us today. The Lord is truly doing an amazing work and we would love for you to be a part of it. Check out the show notes for links to our website and social media pages. Or if you're ever in the Lynchburg or Forest, Virginia area, please come on by and join us in making an impact for Christ. Christ.